Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is great to be here. I love Women in the Word. I love being here with each of you today, so thank you for being here as well. Now, I know that there are some of you who have been part of our Women in the Word here on the Fort Worth campus for a lot of years, just like I have. And if you have been, you will remember when um, our good friend and actually Christ Chapel founding member, Karen Miles, would open our Fort Worth praise time um, by saying, God is good. And then we would respond to Karen by saying, all the time, absolutely. And then Karen would say all the time, and we would say, God is good. God is good. Um, I loved it. I loved it every time Karen would lead us in that great anthem of praise to God's goodness. And actually, it is, um, I have some great moments uh, in the last 30 years of Women in the Word, but that is one that has really stuck in my heart as one of my favorite Women in the Word moments. And I was reminded of it over the last few weeks as I studied these next 24 verses of Psalm 119, because that's actually what our psalmist is saying here to us today. He is saying God is good all the time. In fact, in verse 68 that we're going to look at in a few minutes, he says to God, you are good and you do good. Um, but that's not all he's saying here. Uh, in these next 24 verses, he clearly lays out that God's word is good all the time. Um, he gives us a clear picture that God's word is a place of hope in our lives. It's a place of rest. It is a place of confidence. So we're going to start these next 24 verses together. So look at verse 49 of Psalm 119 with me. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Now, when our psalmist uses remember here uh, to God, he's not afraid that God has forgotten him. You know, God cannot forget. God is omniscient. And our psalmist, what he's asking here when he uses this word remember, he's asking God to pay attention to him or to work on his behalf. And actually, we see that throughout the entire Bible when God remembers his people. Just a few of them I know that will come to your mind. One of them is Noah. Look, we see God remembering Noah in Genesis 8 on your verse sheet. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. When God remembered Noah, he began to work on his behalf. And we see that, uh, we see that with Abraham and Lot. Uh, we see that with Hannah when she had, God remembered her and she had baby Samuel. You know, we also see that with the thief on the cross when he said to Jesus, remember me today when you are in paradise. When God remembers someone, it means he is working for them. And our psalmist begins these next eight verses here uh, in our scriptures by praying that God would work on his behalf through the promises found in his word. And he reminds God here in this very first verse that um, it is God that has given him 
the grace to do so, to hope in his promises. And his argument is that since, um, that since his hope in God's word came from God himself, that it's not a false hope. It's not a hope that our psalmist just made up. Um, God would not cause us to hope in something, would he, that will disappoint us. Now, the word hope is an interesting word. I've thought about it a lot over the last uh, few weeks. You know, in our everyday world, hope means a desire of uncertain fulfillment. We hope that the weather will be great this weekend, but we don't know whether the weatherman will get it right, do we? Uh, We hope that we're going to get a raise at our job, but we honestly don't know if our company's doing well enough to do that. It's similar in our secular world when we use hope. It's similar to a wish. But in the scriptures, hope means something else. Hope conveys the meaning of a confident or certain expectation. One theologian um, that I read said, biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in God's faithfulness. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in God's faithfulness. And that's the hope that our psalmist has here. God will not disappoint him with the promises that God has given him in his word, Because God is faithful. God's word is filled with promises that we can count on. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord." So throughout Psalm 119, we've seen that the psalmist's life is not easy. He has a lot of things going on in his life. Um, He has affliction. He has suffering. He's just like us. He has things that are hard that he experiences every single day. And he repeats what we learned about him a couple of weeks ago when we looked at our last 24 verses. What we learned is that where does he go when his life is hard? Where does he look for comfort and protection? He says it here in these three verses. He goes to God's promises. He goes to God's law. He goes to God's rules. And those are all synonyms for God's word. Now, the word comfort that he talks about here uh, means to console or to bring ease to. When our psalmist is upset, It's God's word that consoles him and soothes him and brings him comfort. You know, I think every mom probably remembers what it was that soothed and consoled their babies when they were just crying, um, brokenhearted, unconsolable. Uh, It may have been swaddling. I know uh, there's some of you that may have perfected that perfect swaddling technique that calmed your baby or perhaps it was a pacifier. None of my babies would take a pacifier, uh, much to my discouragement. I tried over and over again to get them to take that pacifier. But several of my um, grandbabies actually were very attached to their passies. Um, So we had passies everywhere during the baby stage. In fact, I opened that random drawer in my kitchen, you know, that one that is out of the way and you never open it. And so I opened it and thought, 
what's in here? It was a hundred pacifiers. I mean, I just thought, and we haven't had babies in a while, but you never want to be without a pacifier at two in the morning with a crying baby. God's word for our psalmist is not just a pacifier or some giant supernatural soother. God's word is filled with promises that he knows are real and he hopes in them. He has confident expectations of God's faithfulness to fulfill those promises when his life is hard. It is hope in God's promises that comforts our psalmist, and that is the wisdom that he shares with us throughout Psalm 119. Okay, now look at verse 53 with me. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. You know, our psalmist not only has hope and comfort in God's word, he has strong feelings about those people that turn their back on God's word, doesn't he? You know, it's true that when the more we're attached to something, the more we love something, the more important it is in our lives, the greater our reaction is when someone disparages it. That's why we all turn into mama bears when someone disparages our children. They're the most precious thing in our life. And that's part of the emotion that we see here. He loves the word of God and he doesn't want anyone to disparage it. But something else we see in his emotion here is that our psalmist understands the reality of eternal punishment. He understands the reality of the eternal punishment because the wicked who forsake God's law, who forsake God's word, are not going to spend eternity with God. They have turned their back and rejected his truth. So our psalmist's emotion here in verse 53 is actually twofold. He's offended by those who dishonor God's word, holy word, and he's grieved and angry by those foolish people who reject God's truth that God's word offers to them. You know, it is distressing, isn't it? When we see other people that we know what's going on in their life, and this book right here has promises and answers to their life, but they turn away with us, turn away from God's truth. But it, remind, it dishonors God's word and it um, upsets us because it reminds us of their eternal doom. One quote I read um, said, those who are the firmest believers in eternal punishment of the wicked are the most grieved at their doom. And our psalmist is most grieved at the doom of the wicked who turn away from God's word. Okay, look at verse 54. Here with me. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I keep your promises. You know, there's another uh, theme that we see repeated throughout Psalm 119, and that is the truth that we are pilgrims in this world, strangers in a strange land that we weren't meant to live in for eternity. Now, the Hebrew for the word sojourning that the ESV uses, I think the NIV uses the word lodging, but the um, Hebrew word means living in a temporary dwelling or to be a stranger. As believers, this world is not our home. Look at Philippians 3.20 on your verse sheet. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, but what we see from our psalmist is he's not distressed as he passes through this world as a pilgrim. And the reason he's not distressed is he has God's word. He has God's word. No matter where he finds himself each day in this world, God's word brings him joy. In fact, what we see him doing here is singing the scriptures as he travels as a pilgrim through this world. Um, that's kind of appropriate, I think, for a psalmist. He may have been involved in worship in the temple, singing the scriptures. And he also shares with us here in these verses another tidbit about um, how he lives life as a stranger in a strange world. The other thing we see in these verses about his life is that he's remembering God's name even at night. And right here, the word remember means to be mindful of. And so what he's telling us here is he talks about remembering God's name even at night is that when others are sleeping, his mind is thinking on his great and amazing God. He's meditating on his name. He's recalling his character, his attributes, his great works. And the result of keeping God's name and his attributes foremost in his thoughts at night is it keeps his feet following God all day long. Actually, um, verse 55 is, is something that I've called um, a great one-verse life lesson. You find those throughout the scriptures. You think, you know, this one verse would change people's life. You know, my experience is at night, that's when all the cares of the world overtake me. I Many of you probably experienced that as well. You know, it's, I'm pretty good during the day, but it's at night when um, during a difficult season of my life when I began to fret and worry and go through all those if-onlys and those what-ifs. But if we follow our psalmist example here to routinely fill our nighttime thoughts with God instead of our worry, it's going to affect how we live the next day. And every day after that, it could be a chain, game changer for many of us. Now, our psalmist finishes these eight verses by sharing that keeping God's word has been a great blessing in his life. He says, this blessing has fallen to me that I've kept your precepts. And when we look back on these eight verses, we see the reasons why he made the choice to keep God's word that has led to blessings in his life. Because I'm sure for the psalmist, just like for us, there are times when choosing to obey God's word, choosing to follow God's word, to hope in God's word, is not the easiest choice. But he follows God's word because it's been a place of hope in his life. He follows God's word because it's filled with promises that he can count on. He follows God's word because it brings him comfort and protection in the hardest times. And it brings a life of joy into his um, mind. And it keeps his thoughts on God and his feet following God. You know, two weeks ago when we talked about Psalm 119, we talked about our psalmist being teachable and how that should be something that we strive for in our life as well. And if we're teachable today, we're going to recognize that it is God's word that is a place of lasting hope 
for all of us as we journey in this world. You know, our default, even as believers, um, is to hope in our circumstances, or to hope in the people that are in our lives, even the great people that are in our lives. But if we're teachable, what we all have to recognize is that hoping in our circumstances or hoping in our great people um, is foolish because what's going to happen with our circumstances and even our great people? Eventually, they're all going to disappoint us. They're all going to disappoint us. Our only lasting hope in our lives comes not from circumstances or people or even the world around us. It comes from the word in which we trust. Look at what the psalmist says later in Psalm 119 and verse 114. He says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You know what our psalmist is telling us? God's word is good all the time. Now, our next eight verses point out that God's word is also a place of rest in our lives, emotional and spiritual rest, because walking obediently in God's truth, it lifts the burden of sin in our lives, and it gives our souls rest even in the hardest of times when life is not perfect. So look at uh, verse 57 with me. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Um, it's interesting because our psalmist uses real estate language here in verse 57 when he says that God is his portion. The word portion means an allotment or an inheritance. And what he's really referring to is something we looked at together in Numbers last fall. We looked at how the promised land was divided up um, by the tribes of the nation of Israel. And just like the Levites who received God in instead of land as their portion, um, as their inheritance. That's all our psalmist wants as well here. Whatever um, he claims in life, the most important thing he can claim as his inheritance is his portion of God, uh, all that God can do for him. And you know, whenever we lay claim to an inheritance, there are usually some stipulations to that inheritance, aren't there? But our psalmist gives himself stipulations here uh, with God as his portion in life. His stipulation is that he obeys God's promises. He promises obedience to God's word right here. Unlike Israel, who was constantly turning to idol worship as if God wasn't big enough or powerful enough to take care of Israel's needs, our psalmist declares here in verse 57, that God and obedience to his word are all that he needs. They are his portion. Now, when my boys were teenagers, they frequently, like all teenagers, wanted the privileges of adulthood without the responsibilities. They wanted to drive the car, but they didn't want to pay for the gasoline. And our psalmist clearly shows his maturity here. He's not a teenager. He's a mature, humble guy. Because right here, he commits to obedience to God's word before he asks for God's favor 
in verse 58. And the favor he begs God to bestow on him is mercy. That's what the word gracious in our ESV is calling out for, God's mercy. And he's not asking for God's mercy on his own merit. He doesn't think he has a right to God's mercy. He doesn't think he deserves God's mercy. Um, so he simply asks, because he's undeserving of God's mercy, what he asks for is what God's word promises, unending mercy. Look at Lamentations 3.22 on your verse sheet. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Our psalmist isn't asking for mercy because of, he believes he has merit. He's asking because he trusts in God's promises, which reminds him of God's mercy. God's word assures us of God's infinite mercy, which is why our psalmist begs for all his heart. He wants to rest in God's mercy as he obeys God's word. Okay, read a little bit more with me. Look at verse 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. I do not forget your law. So um, for years, until um, they went to doggy heaven to be with Jesus, we had two dogs that were unlikely companions. One was a super sweet but very neurotic bird dog who had to take Prozac every single day. <laughs> Seriously, we gave her Prozac every day. And the other was a spoiled chihuahua. Now, every now and then, these two unlikely companions would stage a breakout from our fenced yard. And the chihuahua was a roamer. And not once did she return home on her own. Once she smelled freedom, she was gone until someone found her and read my phone number on her tag and, you know, brought her back home. But my sweet bird dog, however, always came back home on her own pretty quickly. Um, and actually, twice she came home and then led me to her partner in crime. Um, yeah. But... Even as neurotic as she was, our sweet bird dog knew where her safe haven was, and she always, every single time, came back to it. You know, our psalmist is not neurotic. I think he's probably pretty emotionally healthy, but he does the same thing. His safe haven in life is always God's word, and he returns to it there over and over and over again. Look at... Um, Verse 59 with me. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commands. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget his law. What we see in those three verses is that um, if he wanders off the path of obedience, he quickly speeds to get back there. When he's tempted, what does he do? He quickly runs back to God's word. When he's experienced hardship, the first place he goes is God's word. Our psalmist rests in the truth of God's word whenever he needs a safe haven. A great example for our lives. Look what he says later in Psalm 119 in verse 92. 
If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. There's no greater place of safety in our crazy world and in our crazy lives than God's word. Okay, so look at verse 62 with me. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. So uh, my sweet husband has been on a mission trip for the last two and a half weeks to Honduras. So I have been home by myself at night for the last two and a half weeks. And I don't mind being home by myself at night. But there were a couple of times at night when something woke me up and I had to debate with myself. Do I pull the covers up over my head and pretend I didn't just hear something, you know, outside or do I get up and investigate and find out what's going on, which I have no idea what I would have done if I had found something. But um, that was my uh, debate uh, at night. But our psalmist isn't up at night here because he's fearful of someone breaking into his house and he's not pulling up the covers over his head and hoping that it goes away. He's up at night because his heart is overflowing with praise and thanksgiving for the truth of God's word. He's up at night because he's rejoicing in what saves him, what directs him, what keeps him from making huge mistakes in his life. And he gets out of bed in the middle of the night and he gets on his knees. The connotation is here that he worships God on his knees in the middle of the night and praises God for his word. Now, if any of you have had a baby recently, you remember that um, those first 24 hours after delivery, even though your body is completely exhausted by the labor and delivery, um, you really can't sleep. No new mama really sleeps in those first 24 hours after having a baby. It's such a life-changing experience. You can't keep your eyes off that sweet new little person that has been placed in your arms and you are filled with such a joy and overwhelming gladness that honestly those first 24 hours that's what energizes research shows that's what energizes you more than sleep but our psalmist doesn't have a new baby here what he has is the amazing truth of God's word and the truth of God's word energizes him to the point that it fills him with such joy and gladness that that restores him even more than sleep. He can't possibly stay in bed at midnight when he could be on his knees being grateful for God's holy words. Look at what he says in Psalm 119.97 on your verse sheet. He says, oh, how I love the law. And that's what his midnight praising is expressing. He loves God's law so much that it restores him in life even more than a good night's sleep. And the other thing we see in these verses is that even though our psalmist is spending his nights on his knees with, his Lord, with the Lord, during the day what he's doing is hanging out with God's people. He's hanging out, hanging out with God's people because fellowship with like-minded believers is one of the true joys of being God's people, isn't it? 
Um, every time I have just the joy of walking into Women in the Word, whether it's here at the Fort Worth campus or at the downtown campus or at West Campus or South Campus where we have Women in the Word every single week, it brings me joy to be here with all of you no matter what campus we're on, we're on studying God's Word. In fact, it's pretty stunning. Some morning when you walk into Women in the Word, I challenge you just to stop for a few minutes and look around at all the great women that are coming together to study God's Word, who want to sit together and study God's truth together. You know, I love watching everyone greet each other with smiles and hugs. I love hearing the incredible stories about how you prayed for each other and how you served each other. You know, none of that happens just because we're women, although there are people that would say, of course, women are relational. That's what happens. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here at Women in the Word is the companionship and the affection that we all see and feel comes because we all fear God and we love God's Word and we love to be together as women who love God's Word equally. Our psalmist, whoever he is, um, has experienced the same thing that we have experienced. Whenever he meets like-minded people who keep God's word, he feels an instant and amazing bond with them, and he wants to spend time with them. Now, our final verse here in these eight verses where he says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. It's a great bookend to how we started these first eight verses because he began in these eight verses by saying that God is his portion. He's all I need. And he ends here by actually describing that inheritance that he has laid claim to. His inheritance is the faithful love of a God that's so big it fills the entire earth. It fills the entire earth. And in between these bookends, what he's done is describe how obedience to God's word has brought him mercy. It's brought him a safe haven from the storms of life. It's brought him such incredible joy and gladness that it's greater in his life than sleep. And he has fellowship with like-minded believers in God's truth. What our psalmist has done is he has not checked out of a life, a chaotic life, in order to have rest, which is sometimes in our world our default, isn't it? You know, sometimes it seems like a good idea that we would just go out to the parking lot and get in our car and drive off to some beautiful spot, leaving our problems in our rearview mirror. Um, our psalmist has found something better than checking out of a chaotic life. Our psalmist has found, through obedience to God's word, he's found a place of rest in a life of obedience. Because in our obedience, what we find is mercy and safety and great joy and fellowship with like-minded people. He's telling us here one more time, God's word is good all the time. It brings us rest no matter where we are in our lives. Now, one of my um, 
I don't know whether y'all have a top 10 list of favorite movies, but I kind of had this list of favorite movies. When we're talking about comfort, that's something I like to do is turn on a great, fun, happy movie. And one of mine is The Sound of Music. And um, in The Sound of Music, I'm pretty near to the first of the movie. Julie Andrews is heading out to um, leave the convent and take her job as governess of the children. And on her way, she sings a song called, I Have Confidence. And the chorus to that great song is, I have confidence in sunshine, I have confidence in rain, I have confidence that spring will come again, and besides what you see, I have confidence in me. Our psalmist is singing a song in these next eight verses as well, um, but it's completely different because his place of confidence is not in the world around him or in himself. His place of confidence is God's word. So look at verse 65 with me. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Um, Our last eight verses here actually start with this very first verse in verse 65 by expressing the big idea for the whole eight verses. And that big idea is that our psalmist knows who God is and he knows that he is who he says he is in his word and he trusts God because of that, to deal with him exactly as he said in his word. You know, God's word does reveal his character and his attributes and his plans for us and the consequences of sin. It reveals his grace and mercy. It reveals his knowledge and his wisdom. God's word is the love story that he writes for his people. And our psalmist has confidence in the truth of that love story. He believes every single word of God's love story for him. And that's what he's asking of the Lord. Deal with me just like your love story says that you will. Um, He knows what God says God means. And what God means God does. Our psalmist um, is totally relying on the promises of God's word and his confidence in who God is. But our psalmist also has a confession in these first couple of verses. I hope you caught it. He says in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He's telling us that there was some point in his life, we don't know whether it was near or far, yesterday or years ago, where he took a wrong turn and he left his life of obedience. And what happened when he did was he experienced the consequences that sin brings into our lives. But fortunately for him, he also shares with us um, about his times of affliction. Just like with many of us, it is our times of, of suffering and affliction out there in the wilderness of disobedience that brings us back to God's truth. And he shares that with us here as well. It was suffering and affliction that um, has returned him to God's word. In fact, he affirms it. Now I keep your truth. We all hate suffering. But suffering is often in our lives that wake-up call that we need that leads us back to good judgment and our knowledge of God. It reminds us that when we discipline our children, we don't discipline them because we like to cause them pain, do we? 
We discipline our children to correct their behavior for their own sakes. And that's what's happened in the psalmist's life. Our psalmist's time of suffering has been a good thing for him, and it's left him longing for the good judgment and knowledge that he asked God to teach him again here. And verse 66, affliction always hopefully brings us back to the truth and to a longing for knowledge and good judgment from God himself. Okay, read some more with me. Let's read our last five verses. Look at verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. You know, our last five verses here start with a simple statement of why God's word is a place of confidence and trust. God's word can only be as good as its author, right? It can only be as good as its author. And he tells us that the author of God's word is good all the time. God is good and he does good. And for the psalmist, that statement is a summation of his experience with God. And that statement is an argument for his confidence in God's word. And you know what? All of God's word bears out our psalmist declaration that God is good. Look at Psalm 107.1 with me on your verse sheet. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, we could spend the rest of our time together and the rest of this day and the rest of this week going from the front page to the last page in this Bible, noting and writing down places where we see God's goodness and him doing good for his people. Charles Spurgeon um, says this about God's goodness. He says, God has a monopoly on goodness. God is essentially goodness in himself. And that's what the truth of his word bears out. And that's what our psalmist recognizes. Our psalmist also recognizes that God's word flows out of his goodness, as does all of his work on behalf of his people. You know, our God is not passively good. Our God is actively good. Um, And our psalmist aspires here in these last few verses to be taught God's word so that he won't step off the path the next time, so that he will learn in his spirit to follow God, to do good, and hopefully stay out of trouble in his own life. Now, psalmist closes with one more um, great statement about his confidence in God's word. Uh, You know, Julie Andrews, I just shared with you, sings that she has confidence in rain and sunshine in ourself. Today's culture actually sings another song for us. Today's culture um, sings that we should have confidence in our finances, doesn't it? Um, In our bank accounts. Uh, Anytime you turn on the news, the economy um, is a hot topic in our uh, country. In fact, I pick up my phone frequently, and for some reason, this stock market report 
pops up, which I have no thought of looking at or needing, but it's just constantly out there in our culture that we should have confidence in our finances. In fact, um, for those of you that are nearing retirement age, um, the AARP is happy to fill your mailbox with flyers that say in big, bold letters, do you have enough money to retire on? Um, as if our only shot at ending well in life is our bank account. Our psalmist um, disagrees with all that, and he ends these eight verses by sharing with us he's not placing his confidence in money. It's not in his bank account or wherever he stores his gold or his silver. For him, it's God's word that is a treasure beyond measure. Um, Gold and silver do not compare in his mind and in his heart and in his life with God's word. You know, if we think about it, it's our money and our possessions can be taken from us in a lot of ways, can't they? Um, but God's word, it can never be stolen from us. It can never be spent and it won't deteriorate. Look at Isaiah 48, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, God's word is a place of hope and rest and confidence in our life. And the reason is it's filled with truth and knowledge and wisdom and grace and mercy. It's God's love letter to each one of us. And because God's very own immutable goodness shines out from every page of God's word, and that goodness expressed so completely in God's word. It's that goodness that gives us confidence to trust in him, just like our psalmist in every single season of our lives. God and his word are good all the time. Pray with me. Father, we just um, lift up to you our love and our great joy and gladness in the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that you have given us as women the great gift of holding these Bibles in our hand. They're not another book, Lord. They're your love letter to us. They hold your grace and your mercy and your truth and your promises. And Lord, I pray, I ask that we would be women that love the word of God just like our psalmist does. We would be women that place our trust and our hope and our confidence in the word of God. And as a result, we would be women that bring you honor and glory every single day of our lives. I pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.